is where we'll be tonight, Isaiah chapter number 5. For several Wednesday nights, and I'm not sure exactly how long, but for several Wednesday nights, we're going to look at some of the woe, W-O-E passages that we find in the scriptures. In Isaiah chapter number 5, we're not even going to look at the woes tonight. There are six of them in Isaiah chapter number 5. But we're going to look at some of the woe passages in the scriptures, and we're not going to do so. We're not going to study these passages in order to put us into a spirit of gloom by any means. We're going to look at these passages to remind ourselves why it is so so vital and so important that we be salt and light. Because what happens when the people of Israel, and that's who we're speaking about in Isaiah chapter number 5, but it's no different for us tonight. When the people of Israel, and let me say it this way, when the people of Israel, especially the men, especially the men, when they stopped being who they were called to be, when they stopped being the salt and light that they were supposed to be, that's when the woes came. And so we're not going to look at these to, oh no, I'm, I, pastor's talking about woes on Wednesday night. I'm staying home because I, I don't want to go Wednesday night and have a gloomy spirit. That's not the desire. The desire is for us to see and to be reminded and to say, oh, I, I don't want that to happen. I don't want that to happen in my family. I don't want that to happen in my, in my church family. I don't want that to happen in our community. I don't want that to happen in our state or even our nation. And we need to be reminded how vital it is that we be salt and light. We, we spoke Sunday night in Matthew chapter number 5. We, we spoke about how does the salt lose its savor and how does the light lose its shine. How does the salt lose its savor? Well, we we spoke about two things. By the way, these aren't exhaustive. We could speak about more, but two ways the salt loses its savor by being contaminated and by being diluted. And there's no question that in the church today, and let's just say it this way, in individual Christian lives, there's no question today that we have been contaminated by the world. We have allowed things of the world to come into our lives. We, we, we watch things and we allow our children to watch things. And, and, and then we walk away and we think everything's okay. We, we, we watch things and we think it's funny. And we, we, walk things, we watch things that are absolutely against God's Word. And, and we laugh at it. And then we walk away and say, well, what, what's going on in our nation? It's because we're not salt anymore. We allow our kids to listen to things and watch things and... Then we wonder, what's wrong with our kids? It's because we're not salt. It was mentioned Sunday, look, salt stings when it's healing. Salt signals, as Brother Bill said Sunday, it signals, it it, it shows us the direction, but even more than that, it says, whoa! Talk about the word woe. The word woe means despair and sorrow, but woe is also a warning. Whoa, stop! But when we've lost our savor, we we don't do that anymore. We we don't want to sting. We we don't want a signal. We we stop preserving. And then what happens? 
the woes come. And the sadness is what we're going to see tonight. This isn't sadness, it, it is. But the sadness lies in the first seven verses of Isaiah chapter number 5. Before we even get to the six woes, in verses 1 through 7, God desired the best for Israel, did He not? Just like He desires the best for us. What does He desire for us? He desires the abundant Christian life. God desired the best for the nation of Israel. He desires the best for us as His children today, as His church today, as His bride today. He desires the absolute best for us. And by the way, He works abundantly above anything we could ever imagine to make it happen. That's what Ephesians 3 tells us. He works abundantly above what we could ever imagine to make those desires reality. But what we find in Isaiah chapter number 5 is a people, the nation of Israel, who just didn't listen. We mentioned this last Wednesday night, but you ever had a time in your life where you've tried to help someone and 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 counseled and talked and talked and listened and listened and talked and gave good biblical counsel and that individual or individuals walked away and did their own thing? That hurts, doesn't it? It's discouraging, isn't it? Because we mentioned it last week, it's discouraging. And maybe discouraging is the wrong word, but it does hurt because you know the end. I spoke with a young man Sunday for 45 minutes. He knows everything he's doing right now is wrong. But at the end of the conversation, and I told him, I said, look, I'm going to love you no matter what. I said, but you know you're doing wrong. And at the end of the conversation, I asked him, I said, okay, are you going to go with your opinion and with your family's opinion or are you going to go with God's opinion? And not opinion, but with God's truth. And you know what his answer was? I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. You see, we know the end of that, don't we? The end of that is heartache and loss and calamity and destruction. How do we know that? Because the Bible tells us. We, 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 could, we could use anecdotal evidence and say, because I've seen it. I've seen it happen over and over and over in people's lives, and you probably have, and we have, we've seen it. And we could use anecdotal evidence and say, I know it's going to happen because I've seen it. But you know that we have an even greater evidence? It's God's Word. He says it's going to happen. Whether I've seen it happen or not, God's Word says it's going to happen. He said, if you sow the whirlwind, or if you sow to the wind, what are you going to do? You're going to reap the whirlwind. And so I want us to see these so that we'll just be reminded we have to be salt and light. We have to shake the salt. If you weren't here Sunday, our theme passage for the year is Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16. And our theme for the year is shaking and shining, shaking the salt and shining the light. That is vital. That is vital for us as Christians. That is vital for us as parents. It's vital for us as citizens. It's vital for us as church members. And so tonight, we're just going to look at the first seven verses. We're not even going to get to the woes tonight. And tonight, I want to bring you a message. And we, we really find the title in verse number four. 
I want to bring you a message tonight entitled, What More Could He Do? Look with me, if you would, at verse number 1 tonight. What more could He do? The Bible says, Now I will sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching His vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. And He fenced it and gathered out the stones thereof and planted it with the choicest vine. Built a tower in the midst of it and also made a wine press therein. And He looked that it should bring forth grapes. And it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard. What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? You see, God desires the best for us. What what could I have done more? In verse number 2, he talks about everything that has been done to the vineyard. And he said, well, what could I have done more? The answer is nothing. Nothing else I could have done. What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, brought it forth wild grapes? And now go to, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up, and break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down, and I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned nor digged, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his pleasant plant. And he looked for judgment. You see, the the last part of verse number 7 tells us what he was looking for. These were the kind of grapes he was looking for in verse number 7. He's looking for grapes. He's looking for people that were people of judgment. He looked for people that were people of righteousness. And he looked for judgment, but behold, oppression. He looked for righteousness, but behold, a cry. And so tonight, let's look. Here's the question. The title is, What More Could He Do? So tonight, let's see what he did. What did he do? What did he do for the nation of Israel? What does he do for us? What more could he do? Nothing. So what did he do? Father, help us tonight. Remind us. Father, help us to be the salt and the light that we so desperately need to be. Our families depend upon it. Our little ones depend upon it. Our communities depend upon it. Our nation depends upon it. This church and its continuance Depends upon it. Depends upon us being salt and us being light. And so please remind us of that tonight. Father, we love you. We commit these next few moments to you. Father, we pray this not just to fill time, but we pray it because we know that you hear and we know that you answer. And we believe that you're going to do a work in our hearts in these next few moments. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Number one, what did he do? Number one, he prepared the vineyard. He prepared the vineyard. There's going to be nothing deep tonight. It's right here in the passage. Number one, he prepared the vineyard. Look at verse number two, if you would. And look what the Bible gives us right there, the preparation in verse number two. He prepared the vineyard. Have you ever had a... a, Some of you may have, some of you not, but um, 
have you ever had a piece of land that was not pristine for planting and you had to go in and you had to plow it and you had to maybe even before you plowed it maybe you had to to clear off some trees and clear off some brush and clear off some stumps and and get rid of some different things then you could come in and plow and then you could come in and break up the ground and then you could come in and it would be prepared for planting it would be prepared to be able to receive the seed. Well, notice what he says there in verse number 2. He prepared the vineyard. So what did he do? He fenced it. He fenced it. Somebody tell me tonight, why is that important? Why do we need a fence? To keep the critters out. Who's the, who are the critters, spiritually speaking? Who are the, the world, the flesh, and the devil? People in our day, they, they, they don't want fences. They don't want walls. Listen, God Almighty set up fences for the nation of Israel, set up fences for His vineyard, if you will, to keep those things that weren't supposed to be in, to keep them out. Because, listen, if you don't try to keep them out, they will come in, right? Do you want them in? No. There are things that we don't want in our spiritual lives, and so what do we do? We put fences up. We put walls up to keep those things out. By the way, I'm always amazed that people who have that mentality, you know, we don't need any walls in our lives. We don't need any protection from anything in our lives. They have walls in their home. Yeah? It's not just a bunch of studs with no walls around it. Right? Why? Why? Because we want to keep the elements out. We want to keep the rain out. We want to keep the snow out. We want to keep the critters out. We want to keep the warmth in. We want to keep the cool in when it's supposed to be cool. That's no different spiritually. The Bible says here, He prepared the vineyard. How did He do it? He fenced it to keep out that which is dangerous and destructive. To keep it out. Notice what else it says. And He fenced it. That's the, the uh, keeping that which is without, keeping it out. Then notice what it says, and gathered out the stones there. That's what's on the inside. He said, I'm, I'm going to get rid of everything inside of these fences because this is where I'm going to plant, this is where I'm going to prepare this vineyard. And so not only did he make the fence to keep the, the, the destruction and the danger out, he got rid of the stones, that which is going to prevent the soil from being readied to receive the seed. The Bible says he got rid of the stones. Continue on. What else did he do? The Bible says he built a tower. And built a tower in the midst of it. Some believe, and I I I do think it's a great application, whether it's speaking to it or not, some believe that this may be a reference to the temple, reference to the tabernacle. Israel being his vineyard, being his choice vine, that maybe this tower is a reference to the temple. It's a place of refuge, a place of refreshment, possibly a lookout, this tower. That's why we need the church. That's why they needed the temple. They needed a place of refreshment, a place of refuge, just like we do. 
They needed a lookout, whether it was the temple or not. Maybe it was just a, a tower for a lookout. That's what the church is. It's a lookout for God's people, for the bride. The pastor's supposed, the, the shepherd's supposed to look out for the sheep. Right? Am I, am I wrong on that? Maybe I am. He prepared the vineyard, he fenced it, he gathered out the stones, he built a tower. And then the Bible says in verse number 2, he made a wine press therein so that the well-beloved may enjoy the fruit of his labors. Wine press. God desires communion with his people. A wine press to take the good grapes, not the sour grapes, and enjoy the fruit of his labors. By the way, we said it before, what were we created for? We're created for His pleasure. How do we please Him? Doing His will more specifically. By what? By faith, Hebrews eleven six. 6. But without faith, it is impossible to do what? To please Him. Okay? So what, what was I created for? For His pleasure. How do I please Him? By faith. And by faith, I will do His will. By faith, what is faith? It's complete dependence. It's complete dependence upon Him. Number one, He prepared the vineyard. He fenced it. He gathered out the stones. He built a tower. He made a wine press. Number two, not only did He prepare the vineyard, but secondly, He planted the vineyard. Verse number one, the Bible says, My well-beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. And the Bible says, and he fenced it and gathered out the stones thereof and notice, and planted it with the choicest vine. In a very fruitful hill, he says in verse number one, he planted this vineyard. Now, let me ask you tonight, for us as Christians, where are we planted? In Christ. We are planted in Christ. We, we, we know physically and nationally the nation of Israel, the, the promised land, the, the land of Canaan, we know He doesn't need me, yay. I'm so glad. We know the nation of Israel, the, the physical piece of land there. We know how fruitful it is or it was and will be and continue to be. We are planted in Christ. He's the vine where the branches, John 15 says. We're planted in Him. He, he's prepared He's look, he, he, he put the fences up, he, he got the stones out, he built a tower, he made a wine press. And by the way, Jesus Christ did all that. And all of that is wrapped up in Jesus Christ. He prepared the vineyard. Jesus Christ prepared the way. And we are planted. Take your Bibles and go to Colossians, if you would. Colossians chapter number 2. Hold your place in Isaiah 5. And let's look at Colossians 2 real quickly. He prepared the vineyard and then he planted the vineyard. Colossians chapter Number two, now by the way, we, we could look at Ephesians tonight and this would be a great study for you to do sometime. But just go through the book of Ephesians and see how many times that little phrase, in Christ, appears in the book of Ephesians. By the way, that's the key to election. We argue, I say we, people argue about election. Election's a Bible word, we ought not be afraid of it. We shouldn't be afraid of the word of election. Okay, but, but here's the truth. That, 
doctrine is bound up in that little phrase, in Christ. Because anybody in Christ is the elect. It's not that God has chosen these to go to hell and these to go to heaven. No, He's chosen everything in Christ. And so when a person is in Christ, they're part of the elect. And the wonderful thing is, anybody can be in Christ. Now not everybody's going to be in Christ. Because there are those who stand off and reject the finished work of Christ, the free gift of Christ. But do that. Go through the book of Ephesians this week. Hey, next week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, when you're snowed in, go through the book of Ephesians. And see how many times, you may not want to mark it in your Bible, maybe you don't underline, that's okay. But, but write it down. How many times in the book of Ephesians, that little phrase, in Christ, we have been planted in Christ. Notice what the Bible says here in Colossians chapter number 2. Verse number 4, he says, And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the Spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Notice this, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. And then what's the first word in verse 7? Rooted. Rooted. And built up in Him and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Go back to the left and, and look at the book of Romans real quickly. Romans chapter number 6. Romans chapter number 6. So, so what did He do? If He couldn't do any more, what did He do? Well, He prepared. He prepared the vineyard. He planted the vineyard. Romans chapter 6. Notice verse number 5. Verse 4 speaks of baptism. He says, Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Verse 5. For if we have been, what's the word there? Planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection. We are planted in Christ. Let, let, me, let me show you one other passage on your way back to Isaiah. Stop in Jeremiah if you would. Jeremiah chapter number 2. Jeremiah chapter 2 and then we'll get back to Isaiah 5. Jeremiah chapter number 2. He prepared the vineyard. He planted the vineyard. By the way, remember what it says over there in Isaiah 5? With the what kind of vine? With the choicest vine. Look what it says here in Jeremiah chapter number 2. Begin in verse number 21. We'll look at two verses here, 21 and 22. He says, Yet I had planted thee a noble vine, holy a right seed. How then art thou turned into the degenerate plan of a strange vine unto me? For though thou, excuse me, for though thou wash thee with nitre, and take thee much soap, yet thine iniquity is marked before thee, excuse me, me, saith the Lord God. A noble vine. By the way, let me ask you tonight, why would he call them that? And we're going we're gonna, we're gonna to go further and then come back to Isaiah 5. We're going to look at one more verse before we get back to Isaiah 5. But why would he say that? What, what could be a reason why he would say that? The choicest vine, a noble vine. Because here's the thing, was Israel 
any better than any other people? No, he tells us that in the book of Deuteronomy. He said, I I didn't set my love upon you because you were something great. Take your Bibles and go back to the book of Deuteronomy. And then I promise we'll come back to Isaiah 5. Look at Deuteronomy chapter number 4. Deuteronomy chapter number 4. And notice verse number 8. Actually, back, back up to verse 7 as well. He said, For what nation is there so great, who hath God so nigh unto them as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon Him for? And notice verse 8. And what nation is there so great, that hath statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law which I set before you this day. God had given them the the judgments and the precepts and the statutes and the commandments. He had given them the, the righteous word. He said, what nation? What nation is there so great that hath statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law which I set before you this day? What was the answer? None. By the way, that's why the nation of Israel was supposed to be, could have been, should have been, really the missionaries to the world. But they never were. They had God's word. They had God's statutes and law. He said, what nation? Let me ask us tonight. What people? The bride of Christ. Christians. What people have a greater book than we do? It contains God's Word. The very Word of God. It contains His truth. By the way, in Isaiah 5, we're going back there. In Isaiah 5... What did, what did he look for? What was God looking for? Two things. What was he looking for? When he looked at the grapes, he was looking for good grapes, but he found sour or wild grapes, sour grapes, wild grapes. But what was he looking for? Judgment and righteousness. Judgment and righteousness. By the way, why could he expect that from them? Because they had it. He gave it to them. What, what nation? Deuteronomy 4 What nation is there so great that hath statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law which I set before you this day? See, he could expect righteousness and judgment from Israel because he'd given it to them. They, they had it. It wasn't that they were in the dark. It wasn't that they, they were just walking in blindness. They had it. And by the way, that's why He expects the same from us. Because we have it. We have His Word. We have His righteous Word. We have righteousness and judgment. That's why He expects His children to live right. That's why He expects His children to act right. That's why his, He expects His children to be merciful. And to be just and not oppressors. We'll see that in just a moment in verse 7. We already read it. But He expects us to be merciful and to be just. Not to to play favorites and be biased. 
No, we're to square everything up with the Word of God. That's justice. So number one, number one, He prepared. Number two, He planted. Number three, He protected. We've already seen that in verse number two. Number one, He prepared. Number two, He planted. Number three, He protected. We as Christians, even as we think back to number two, being planted, the nation of Israel, God had given them the righteous judgments. He had given them His oracles. As Christians, we have the Scriptures, we have the Spirit, we have the Savior. God has given us these things. He planted the vineyard, but number three, He protected the vineyard. The Bible says again in verse 2, we've already seen this. It says, and He fenced it. He protected the vineyard. Let me ask us real quickly, and we'll move on to number four, but what is our protection today? Spiritually speaking, what is our protection? Okay, the Holy Spirit, absolutely. What else? The Scriptures, His Word. Look with me if you would at Proverbs real quickly. Look at a few verses here. Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter number 3. He prepared the vineyard. He planted the vineyard. He protected the vineyard. When Israel and then eventually Judah, when they went into captivity, Israel to the Assyrians, Judah to the Babylonians, how did that happen? Was it because God was weak? Okay, they, they put their guard down, absolutely. And then what else happened? God removed His hand of protection. By the way, that, that's... Are you still holding your place in Isaiah 5? In verse number 5. And now go to, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will... What's the very first thing? I will take away the hedge thereof. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up, and break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. You know what happens when we stop being salt and light? When, when we stop being obedient to the calling to which we are called? God takes His hand of protection off of us. What happens to a nation that turns it? That, that's what happened to Israel. And it can happen to an individual, it can happen to a family, it can happen to a church family, and it can happen to a community, and it can happen to a nation when they turn their back upon God. He takes His hand of protection away. But what is our protection? It's the Spirit who guides us and leads us into all what? Truth. And then it's the truth. It's the Scriptures. Look what the Bible says here in Proverbs 3. Here verse number 22. Verse 21, he says, My son, let not them depart from thine eyes. Speaking of his words, speaking of wisdom. He says, Keep sound wisdom and discretion. Notice verse 22. So shall they be what? Life. So shall they be life unto thy soul and grace to thy neck. What is our protection? It's the Spirit who guides us into all truth. And then it's the truth. It's the truth which protects us. Go just a little bit further. Look at chapter number 7. Proverbs 7, verse number 1. My son, 
Keep my words and lay up my commandments with thee. Keep my commandments and what? Live. And my law is the apple of thine eye. Bind them upon thy fingers. Write them upon the table of thine heart. Say unto wisdom, thou art my sister. And call understanding thy kinswoman. Notice this. Notice verse 5. That they may do what? Keep thee. That they may keep thee from the strange woman. Specifically here, he's, he's talking about the strange woman. He says that they, speaking of God's word, speaking of wisdom, that they may keep thee from the strange woman, from the stranger which flattereth with her words. By the way, what is the end of the strange woman? What would you say? Look at verse 27. Her house is the way to what? To hell. Going down to the chambers of death. Verse 26 says, For she hath cast down many wounded, yea, many strong men have been slain by her. So what is our protection against the strange woman? What is, it's the same protection as it is against the world, the flesh, and the devil. The strange woman is part of that. It's God's word. It's his wisdom. One more here. Look at Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22. We looked at Proverbs 22 last week. Verses 17 through 21. The certainty of the words of truth we spoke about. Proverbs 22, that, that great verse, verse number 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. And chapter 22, Proverbs 22, is a complete discourse on all the different things that we're supposed to teach our children. The course, the course that we're to chart for them. But notice what verse number 3 says. A prudent man. By the way, how do we become prudent? Doesn't just happen, does it? Because a person that doesn't know God's word or doesn't have wisdom, what does the Bible call them? Not a fool. Simple. Now, a fool has it, but he rejects it. But the simple doesn't have it. The simple may have never heard it. And look what it says here. The prudent man, the man who has heard, the man who has learned, the man who has been trained. A prudent man foreseeth the evil. You know what that means? It means he has discernment. And what does he do when he foresees the evil? He hideth himself. But... The what? The simple. There you go. That's the one. It doesn't mean he's a, he's a bad guy. It doesn't mean he's a fool. The fool hears, but he rejects. The simple probably just has never heard. But the Bible says, but the simple does what? He passes on and are punished. He prepared the vineyard. He planted the vineyard. He protected the vineyard. He protects us today. As His children, He protects us with the Spirit. He protects us with the Scriptures. But never forget, even though we have the Spirit, if you're a child of God, you have the Spirit, the Holy Spirit residing inside of you. But you still reside in this flesh. And the flesh and the Spirit are constantly battling. And we can choose to let the Spirit control. Or we can choose to let what control? The flesh. He offers protection. He offers His Spirit. He offers the Scriptures. If we'll listen to the Scriptures, the prudent man, 
foreseeth the evil. He has discretion. He has discernment. He says, I don't think I should be there. I think I'm going to hide myself at home tonight. Don't think I should go there with them. Don't think I should be a part of that. The Bible says, but the simple pass on and are punished. Number one, He prepared the vineyard. Number two, He planted the vineyard. Number three, He protected the vineyard. Number four, He perceived the vineyard. After He prepared and planted and protected, what is He waiting on? He he prepared, He planted, and He protected it. What is He waiting on? The fruit. He's waiting on the fruit. And the Bible tells us there in verse uh, verse 2 of Isaiah 5, And he looked, he perceived. He prepared, he planted, he protected, he perceived the vineyard. The Bible says in verse 2, And he looked that it should bring forth grapes, but it brought forth what? Waters. By the way, he says that in verse number 4 as well. Well, Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, brought it forth wild grapes? He asked the question. Wild grapes are the fruits of... Well, let me just ask you, what are the wild grapes? They're the fruit of what? They're the the fruit of the flesh. They're the fruit of the corrupt nature, the flesh. That's what the wild grapes are. But you see, he, He prepared and He planted and He protected. But what did the nation of Israel do? You know what the nation of Israel did? They let all the critters over the fence. They, they let all the critters over the fence. They, they started making leagues with the heathen. They started worshiping the false gods of the heathen nations and rejected and disregarded the protection of God Almighty. They disregarded the oracles and the word and the, the, the righteous judgments that God had given them and they disregarded it. And so... God Almighty, He looks. He's looking for grapes. But what has been produced in the fruit is wild grapes. Let me ask us tonight, what does the Lord desire of us? The Lord desired righteousness and justice of the nation of Israel. What does He require from His people today, from His church, from His bride? What does He require? The same. He requires obedience. You know, really, it's no different. Micah, would you turn there real quickly? Actually, don't even turn there. Stay in Isaiah 5. Let let me get there and read it real quickly. Anybody know Micah 6? Anybody there? What does He require? He hath showed thee, O man, what is good. What is good? And what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God? He doesn't expect anything different from us today. To walk justly, that, boy, that just covers, that just covers a multitude of words that we could use tonight, doesn't it? To walk justly, to love mercy. And to walk humbly with thy God. Let me read you a couple verses. You don't have to turn there just for sake of time tonight. Passage, you know, Psalm 19. 
Galatians 5. We were, there, we were there Sunday. Galatians 5. What's in Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23? The fruit of the Spirit. That's what, that's what He desires. What does God desire from us? He desired righteousness and He desired justice from the nation of Israel. That's what He desires from us. He desires the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, temperance. Psalm chapter 19 and verse 14, we have a great discourse on the Word of God here. But in verse number 14, the psalmist David, he says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be what? Acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. What does he desire? That the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart would be excuse me, acceptable to him. He perceived the vineyard. Let me ask us tonight, when he looks around tonight, when he looks in my heart, what does he perceive? Does he see grapes? Does he see good fruit? Does he see the fruit of the Spirit? Or does he see wild grapes? By the way, what were the wild grapes? What did they produce in Isaiah chapter 5? Are you there? What did they produce? Okay. What else? In themselves, their character. What kind of people were they? <laughs> they were sour, weren't they? Absolutely. They were oppressors. They, they were, and by the way, they were oppressors because they weren't just. They did not rule justly. And because of that, they were oppressors, the Bible says. He said, instead of, instead of, Righteousness, he said it was oppression instead of justice, or, or maybe, it's, maybe it's flipped there. He says in verse number 7, he says, but behold. He says, and he looked for judgment. He looked for righteousness, and he looked for judgment. But behold, oppression for righteousness, but behold, a cry. And the cry is the cry of the oppressors, or excuse me, of the oppressed. Some believe that that phrase there could be just a foreshadowing of the cry of the people before Christ was crucified. What did they cry? Crucify Him. Crucify Him. Verse 7, if you're there in Isaiah 5, He perceived the vineyard. He wanted righteousness and judgment, but what He received was sour fruit, wild grapes. And the kind of people they were, they, they weren't just, they were oppressors, they weren't righteous Instead of seeing righteousness and seeing the fruit of righteousness. Seeing a, a, a nation that is given to righteousness and flourishes because of God's hand of blessing upon them. That's not what he saw. He saw, he heard a cry and he saw oppression. He prepared, he planted, he protected, he perceived. And so when God perceives and looks at us today, what does he see? He sees no salt. He sees no light. And He sees a people, a world, that is oppressed by sin. Because we have stopped trying to stop the spread of corruption. Salt stops the spread of corruption. Light dispels darkness. So what does God see today when He looks at our world today? He sees people being oppressed by sin because they're not getting the truth that we could give them. 
We're not being the salt that we ought to be. And by the way, I'm just, I'm just making a general statement there. When I say we, I'm talking about Christianity as a whole. We're not shining the light the way that we should. And he sees a people who are crying out. And they don't even know what they're crying out for. But they know that what they have is, isn't good. And they're crying out because they're oppressed by sin. And then number five, he prepared, he planted, he protected, he perceived. Number five, he punished. Now some might disagree with the use of that word. Some would say, well, his people, he chastises, he doesn't punish. I would give somebody that. But notice verses 5 through 7 again. And now go to, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof. And it shall be eaten up and break down the wall thereof. And it shall be trodden down and I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned nor digged. By the way, remember in the New Testament when the disciples, they came to the tree that wasn't, preparing, wasn't producing fruit? They wanted to cut it down, didn't they? What did Christ say? He said, dig around it. He said, he said dig and dung. Dig around it, get, get the soil worked up there and put some fertilizer on it. And he said, and then next year if it doesn't produce, then you can, then you can take it down. But he says here, he says, it will not be pruned nor digged, but there shall come up briars and thorns. By the way, in verse number 2, he got out all of the stones, right? He prepared it. Now the briars and thorns are going to come back. He said, I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it, drought. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah, his pleasant planting. And he looked for judgment, but behold, oppression for righteousness, but behold, a cry. Now what's the very next word in verse 8? Woe. And for the rest of the chapter, you have six woes. And we'll begin to look at that, Lord willing, next Wednesday. But it, it doesn't, here's the thing, it does, that doesn't have to happen. Woes do not have to come upon my family. They don't have to come upon our church family. They don't have to come upon our community. If we will shake the salt and if we'll shine the light. Now, when you shake the salt, sometimes it stings, doesn't it? That means it's working. That means it's healing. That means it's doing what it's supposed to do. When we shake the salt, it's preserving. But we need to preserve truth, do we not? What more could he do? He he asked the question. He said, what more could I have done? We know the answer. Nothing. So what was the problem? It was their will to reject everything that God had done. Going above, exceedingly above what they could have ever imagined to bring to pass what He desired for them. And He desires the same for us. I wonder, and I don't know if it will work this way, but I wonder... If when we get to heaven one day. I, I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us this. But I wonder if we'll be able to see. And if you know the answer to this, you can tell me after the service. But I wonder if we'll be able to see what things could have been. If we had been completely obedient to His will. As opposed to what they were. I don't know. The Bible does say in heaven that he, people say well, there are no tears in heaven. There are. He says He will wipe away all tears. 
And so I wonder, what are those tears for? I don't know. It's something to think about, isn't it? Father, thank you for the night you've given us. Thank you most of all for your truth. Father, I pray that you would help us as we pray. Lord, I pray that you'd incline your ear toward us. And Father, I do pray that you'd help us to be a people of salt and light. That, that's who we are. That's who we're identified as. As your disciples, we're to be salt and light. Father, help us to be so. Father, give us safety as we go to our homes. Just give us a good rest of the week. Lord, please do. Please help us to go out even tomorrow, even tonight, with people that we may even encounter tonight. Help us to be salt and light. Father, we'll thank you for what you'll do. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.